0: K M T T Kimitzion Teitzet Torah You're listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat Bo. Hey, Shvat, and I'm your host Jonathan Snowbell. Ben leaving me time in this week's parsha, and I want to talk about apologetics. What's the connection? Let's go back to Parshiot. When God <coughs> reveals himself to Moshe at the Snet, God says to Moshe, How will he approach Paro? And you will say to him, God, the Lord of the Hebrews, appeared to us, and we ha- now we shall go for three days into the desert and sacrifice to Hashem our God. Okay, so God presents to Moshe the plan of asking Paro to go for three days into the desert and to sacrifice to God. Additionally, God continues to say, at And I will give the favor of the nation in the eyes of the Egyptians, and when you go, you will not go empty-handed. So? And women will borrow from their neighbors, and the people living in their houses, vessels of silver, vessels of gold, and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and on your daughters, and you will fill in the blank Mitzrayim. Literally, you will take advantage of Mitzrayim. According to the term, in modern Hebrew, take advantage of Mitzrayim. God's plan from the outset has these two factors. There may be more factors, that's not what I'm interested in right now. I'm interested in these two factors. The fact that God says that our request is we want to go for three days. And that we are to borrow from our Egyptian neighbors, vessels of silver and gold and, and clothing, items of clothing. And this God is describing as, When you go, you will not go empty-handed. It sounds like an awful plan. There are two deceptions built in to the plan. One is, instead of coming to Paro with an outright request and say, Hey, we'd like to stop this whole slavery bit, and we'd like to leave me trying. And if you don't let us go, God will hit you over the head until you let us go. Why can't we just be upfront with this? Does God lack the power to let us go free? With an upfront request. Furthermore, with all the miracles here, deception number 2, we go up to our Egyptian neighbors and we say to them, "Oh, we're going away for a couple of days now. We'll be back soon, but we're going to sacrifice to our god, so we need nice clothing, we don't have any nice clothing, we're slaves, we need vessels, gold, silver to bring the sacrifices in, do you think you could lend that to us? Sure, no problem. Knowing that our intention is to leave, to never return, come back, not return those vessels. Once again, could God not have done this in a different way? A careful reader of the Tanakh will see that despite a modern, even orthodox, school of thought, that is uncomfortable with this situation, and try to explain that really by the time Paro allows Bnei Yisrael to leave, he really understands that by the end of the ten plagues, B'nai's are asking to leave Egypt, not go away for three days. Which then, if we extend that to mean, there's not really any deception here when power releases them, he knows they're not coming back. And then we could say that. By extension, if Paro knows, everybody knows that B'nai Yisrael are not coming back. And so when they borrow from their neighbors, the neighbors are giving to them full aware of the knowledge that they're not getting these vessels, they're not getting this clothing back. This makes us all feel comfortable, that everybody was good and honest, and that's the way we're supposed to be. As I said, I will leave it up to the reader, the listener, who will become a reader, not while they're listening to the shir on the subway, or in their car, but when they get home, on Shabbat perhaps, in the shul, while they're looking through Qirat Torah, they will see that at no point did the plan change, did the request to Paro change, as to what we were asking for, whether we were leaving Egypt for good or for three days. The, 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 the request to leave for three days was a constant request. And likewise, the Torah uses the word vishalu to borrow. The Egyptians, Paro, thought they were leaving for three days and returning when they gave them the vessels and they expected to get it back. And God constantly reminds Moshe of this. Tell them to go and borrow. At the Sneh, and he tells them again, and he tells Moshe again, tell them to borrow. I won't go into the details, I'll just bring one final point to prove this point. Next week's Parsha. And Paro sent Bnei Yisra from Yitzrayim. We are told... The following Pasuk. Parah was told that the nation ran away. And Rashi goes into detail that, well, a certain number of days have gone by. Should have, this number of days of traveling, this number. They should have been back by now. According to Rashi, even sent people with them to make sure that they would come back. In other words, All the indications indicate that Moshe stuck with God's plan that was established at the Sneh on both levels. The request from the beginning till the very end, when Paro released them, was for three day respite to go into the wilderness to worship and sacrifice God, sacrifice to God. And when the Egyptians gave their vessels, gold and silver and clothing to their slaves from Bnei Israel, or to the slaves of Bnei Israel. They gave it to them, assuming that they were going to get it back in three or four days when they returned. And the question is, well, why is that? This, As we started out at the outset, this is not nice. This is not ethical. Is this necessary? Makes us feel uncomfortable. Makes us feel uncomfortable because the thought of any of us going up to a friend, a neighbor, and someone we don't like, and borrowing something from them, not with the intention of not returning it to them, is repulsive. (coughs) The thought that God needed to request of Paro to let us out for three days, and he had to do this, in this uh, sneaky way and couldn't say, you're going to let my people go entirely, out, for good, forever. Why not? What was the problem? This uncomfortability that we might have with these two factors, with these two issues, should not confuse us in reading the text of the Torah. And the fact that we may or may not be uncomfortable with this should not cause us to alter the simple read of the Torah. And the Torah is consistent. It was a three-day plan. That's what Paru thought. That's what Paru thought all along. That's what Paru thought at the end when he let them go. And the Egyptians thought they were lending their vessels to B'nai Israel. And now the question remains, after A, establishing the fact that we are uncomfortable. B, there's nothing we can do with that uncomfortability because God commanded that we say three days and not let us go. God commanded that we borrow the vessels from from the Egyptians. God commanded it. He made us be dishonest. Okay. Now what do I do with the fact that the Torah says one thing and my ethical standpoint makes me feel uncomfortable with this. Well, we can't alter what it says in the Torah, though that's what some apologetics attempt to do. What we can do is reevaluate our moral, ethical standpoint, viewpoint, and say, maybe there's something more here, there's something else that I have to think about. There were 600,000 men who left Mitzrayim from Bnei Israel. If you add the ch- the male children underneath under twenty, the females, the female children, you'll get somewhere approximately to between let's say a million and a half and two million slaves. Two million slaves is nothing to sneeze at. Losing them is not an inconvenience, a sacrifice. Losing them for all intents and purposes, is probably the destruction of the economy. Two million slaves building, working. If they disappear in one day, there's not any way that I think any modern financial thinker could think of how to replace two million workers from an economy that suddenly disappeared in one day. Requesting of Paro... To let Bnei Yisrael outright go, though God could have done it, and God could have made it happen, was an unfair request of Paro. It was a request that Paro could never agree to with the best intentions. Because with the situation that he has two million slaves, a million and a half slaves, whatever number you want to use, he can't let them go. They're a part of the economy. If he was a really great thinker and a civil libertarian, he might think of a 10, 20 year plan how to ease these people out of the workforce or let them have some sort of rights. But he certainly can't let them go. If God is interested in Paro accepting his will, he can't have him accept his will on something that's impossible. And again, I'm not trying to be political, I'm just trying to give an example. Any negotiation between the Israeli and the Palestinians, where the Palestinians demand at all costs that all people in the world defined as Palestinian refugees are allowed to come back into the state of Israel and receive Israeli citizenship, is not an acceptable request because nobody from the far right to the far left can accept this position because it means the destruction of the state of Israel. That's not a fair request that's not something that you put on the table in negotiations unless you're not really interested in negotiations so God had to request something that was reasonable it's reasonable to give your slaves a three four or five day break and then let them come back the economy won't fall apart then however Paro was not willing to accept this either and that was a fair request so when Paro's put up to all these tests are you going to listen to God or not he wasn't being put up against a test which was a suicidal test let the Jews go let B'nai Israel leave for good how could he ever say yes to that for better or for worse he enslaved the Jewish people or his father or his grandfather enslaved the Jewish people and that's the, the, the reality and to just let them go is an impossible request God can let it happen but to let them go he can't do that similarly or not similarly perhaps the Jewish people after whatever number of years of slavery there was just over a hundred by Rashi's calculation they were 210 years in Egypt but not all of the years in Egypt were they actually slaves they worked hard they were slaves they were treated like dirt as slaves throughout the world who were slaves, were always treated historically. And God decided it was time to do justice. The Jewish people worked for the Egyptian people. They deserved payment for their work. How are they going to get it? Well, they weren't going to make a claim in the government offices, hey, we've been working here for 110 years. We'd like to get paid, please. That wasn't going to happen. And God decided that the right thing was for them to get this money. So the way they were going to get this money was by being, having it being given to them. Was this dishonest? By our standards, it was a dishonest thing to do. But by God's standards, it was the right thing to do nonetheless. The value of them getting their payment for all their work was more important than the value of them not telling the truth or misleading their Egyptian neighbors. And just recently in the Yomi, we, we also spoke about there is a concept of inish a man is allowed to take in certain circumstances the law into his own hands. And the Torah is very clear. You're not allowed to sneak into someone's house. The, the Gemara, pardon me, is clear. You're not allowed to sneak into someone's house and take something that belongs to you back because then you might be caught and it'll look like you're a thief. But Conceptually, the idea is, is there. And all the more so when God is mandating the action. B'nai Israel deserve payment. God decided how they're going to get the payment. There's no room to question this anymore, as a moral action or an immoral action. The lesson of Akedat Yitzchak to us was that morality is established by God's command, and God's command. As an aside, is not interested in human sacrifice at the end of the day. Doesn't mean that every other moral dictum that we live by is an absolute moral dictum with no flexibility. Being dishonest at times is something that might be acceptable in certain circumstances. If you're facing a tough negotiation where you can't get what you need, it might be at times the right thing to bend things a little bit when something is right, rightfully yours perhaps that's the right time to be dishonest in order to get it I'm not mandating action here I'm opening up possibilities we see in the Gemara if telling your spouse or your friend or your parent or your child a little bit of a bending of the truth which won't get them upset and will keep peace in the house it might be an acceptable thing to do. Clearly in this case, there's no room to be apologetic. God mandated the action, both actions, both Moshe's negotiation tactics, and B'nai Israel's tactic to get their payment out of the Egyptians. It makes us have to understand that we do not dictate to the Torah what moral standards are but rather the Torah dictates what moral standards are we have to open our minds to hear what the Torah has to say to us and at times we have to alter what we think is an acceptable behavior and reevaluate and accept that perhaps we can be corrected too and on that note Shabbat Shalom and a special thanks to our visitor in the KMTT office this week Aliza who once again helped me like others small group of people by giving positive feedback to the Arab Shabbat program, program and KMTT in general Shabbat Shalom